You've tuned in to a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast. 20 Minutes with John Anilio. Hello, friends. I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Brian Humphrey. And you've tuned in to a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast, 20 Minutes With. That's right. 20 Minutes With is a segment in which Dave and I have the great honor to share the microphone with some creative and motivated artists. And today is an artist of a different shade. A, a, a different shade. Ooh, very nice. Working the, working the mm. color motif here. <laughs> Uh, well, actually, you know, color may not be the most appropriate nuance to bring <laughs> out for this, Bri. Um, now, you know, it's customary here on the Roundtable podcast for our guest host to be a published writer, widely known, uh, regarded, and lauded by his peers and fans. And that is what we've got going on this week. But unlike every other guest host we've ever had on the show, ever, today's guest host doesn't write books. Our guest host this week is a composer, a troubadour, a tunesmith with an acoustic guitar slung across his back like a broadsword. <laughs> he's, he's cast a long shadow across genre fiction in recent years, crafting songs and theme music that has defined an era of podcasters and nerds around the world. Now, how did this Ronin of rock, this this musical mage, come to be the man he is today? Well, apparently it all started with the most mystical and magical age of music. 80s rock and roll. Yes, now I imagine it was very much like the foreigner song Jukebox Hero, uh, but instead of one guitar just blowing him away, it was the power solos of Paul Gilbert, Vito Brata, and Reb Beach. Uh, and it didn't take long for his tastes to mature, and soon he was savoring the melodic majesty of Joe Satriani and Steve Vai, drinking deep from the sweet wellspring of progressive rock and roll. And it was his abiding love of Rush, Yes, and King Crimson that inspired him to study classical guitar and a bit of jazz in college. Now, college saw him also begin training his voice, singing in the choir and building his confidence as a singer and a performer. Now, this allowed him to transition from hotshot guitarist to the coveted designation of singer-songwriter. Now, he explored the Beatles and pop music like the Beach Boys and Crowded House and Jellyfish. And even as his power grew, he learned the dangers and perils of his treacherous path. Perils like accepting a gig as the cover band at a strip club. Now, sure, that sounds like fun until the band discovers that they aren't performing with the strippers. They're performing instead of the strippers. Oh. Now, yeah, exactly, right? Now, the fact that our guest host survived that night at all is an impressive feat in and of itself. But the fact that the next morning, sleep-deprived, hungover, and covered in glitter, he played guitar for a children's choir mass pretty much establishes his potent and glorious musical mojo for all time. Now, when the band thing stopped working out, our guest host struck out alone, performing solo gigs in bars, coffee shops, restaurants, ice cream parlors, churches, VFW halls, hookah bars, bookstores, libraries, and more. His knowledge and wisdom grew, and soon he discovered that part of his destiny lay in the sharing of that knowledge 
knowledge with others. He became a teacher, which simply deepened his experience and his love of music. Then several amazing things started to happen all at once. First, music suddenly got a lot easier. At least from the recording, editing, and distribution perspective, music was going digital. And parallel to that revelation came the internet with its blogs and its podcasts and RSS feeds. Now, these wonders caught our guest host's imagination, and he began to be influenced by geeky, nerdy things. In fact, his first CD had a song about a vampire on it, which was pretty much the beginning of a whole new cycle of musical expression. Now, he found, you see, that there was a broad fan base already in place for all things nerdy. Now, the line in the sand was drawn when our guest host wrote a catchy tune to John DiNardo's lyrical tribute to Summer Glau. And, oh, what a lyrical tribute that was. <laughs> Summer Glau, yes. Uh, now, from there, he wrote songs inspired by the books and stories of genre fiction and eventually expanded his repertoire to embrace all of geek culture. He wrote the theme songs for Mer Lafferty's I Should Be Writing podcast, as well as the SF Signal podcast. When he read Neil Gaiman's blog defending the artist's creative pace in the face of fan demands, he wrote, George R. R. Martin is not your bitch. <laughs> and he was then commissioned by Angry Robot Books to craft a song for Adam Christopher's Empire State novel. The sheet music for his song, The Ballad of Wilson Cole, appears in the appendix of Mike Resnick's novel, Starship Flagship, published by Pyre. Soon, he was so deeply mired in the speculative fiction culture that the inevitable happened. He co-created a podcast, the aptly named and awesome Functional Nerds Podcast with author and reviewer Patrick Hester. He's played at Nerdtacular, FenCon, Balticon, Confluence, and so many other fantasy and sci-fi conventions. He's also by reputation an excellent swing dancer and has come to understand that pure evil expresses itself most fully through the lyrics of Fergalicious. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where that comes from either but you know i'm gonna have to listen to that song again so dear friends please welcome to the big chair at the round table our guest host for this episode of 20 minutes with john anilio john sir Yay. thank you so, yes exactly big thunderous cheers people are, are <laughs> waving their their lighters actually now i guess it's cell phones uh, uh out at their at their particular ipod or whatever john thank you so much man for making time to share some thoughts with us we really appreciate it oh well, th well thank you for having me and uh uh, and thank you for the uh, the thorough introduction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you're welcome. You're very welcome. We deserve yeah, it. No, You've earned it. Any 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 egregious errors that need to be corrected? I like to make sure I'm getting my facts straight. No, that 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 all that all sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. Then let's let's not waste any time. We got 20 minutes with John and Neilio, so I'm ready to dive into it. Let's do it. All right. Now, first, I'm going to start us off, John. This is a huge step outside of our company. Comfort zone. Uh, Brian and I have built the roundtable around the notion of writing as the primary mode of storytelling. Now, you and I both know that's not the case, that there are many ways to tell a story, that every piece of art tells a story. Um, and I was wondering if you could like sort of set the stage for our discussion and explain your perspective on how music is a strong and potent storytelling medium. Sure. Well, you know, if you're, if you're couching it as, as storytelling and you look at it 
from different cultures point of view, you know, before we wrote down words, even, you know, before there were books, you know, books are still in human history, a relatively recent phenomenon, you know, <laughs> sure, you know, so there were these storytellers that would gather around a fire and pass on stories. And the way our brains work, we tend to remember things better when they're tied to music. You probably remember all these like little songs that you were taught that helped you remember little things in school. Oh yeah, little mnemonic enhancers, sure. Yeah, so I think music is really powerful when you tie it to words like that to pass on stories. And I think for me, even though a lot of the songs that I do are focused on genre sorts of things, a lot of my interest in doing it is is actually tied to fantasy novels. And, you know, you can go to Tolkien and lots of other examples where there's actual songs written within the books. There's lyrics written. You never hear the songs in the book, obviously, but they're there because that's the way, when, when you think of a lot of fantasy literature, so much of it is based, at least indirectly, on different European, particularly uh, British, Irish, Scottish sorts of traditions. And when you look back at a lot of those sort of traditional songs, they're telling stories. They're not what I call feeling songs, meaning... <laughs> oh, no, what's the, di- what's the distinction there? You have most, I shouldn't say most, a lot of pop music, especially today's pop music. A lot of it is talking about feelings, like I love you. I want you. <laughs> okay, gotcha. And, and and it's usually riddled with cliches and and my heart's breaking and and there's nothing wrong with that. I I love a good pop song just as much as anybody else, and I think there is an art and a craft to making a good pop song. And I think you can make smarter pop songs than just I love you, I want you, all that kind of stuff too. But that's not the only way that you can write songs. And I think a lot of these older Irish, British, Scottish, and I'm sure you can go into other cultures too. They have their share of I love you, I want you all that but a lot of those great old songs tell long stories tell i mean many verses and part of the reason for that is these songs are anonymous who knows who wrote them first right and nowadays when i write a song i record it i put it on the internet everyone knows i wrote it it's done songs carried on because someone would write it or write part of it teach it to the people that were in their area and you know around their fireplace sure and if it was a good song then those people would teach to the next people they met and so on then it would spread but the thing was is that every time it's almost like playing telephone in school Oh, yes. It yeah. never it never is the same sure, by the time sure. you get to the end. So these songs, which are over generations, every time someone learns it, they maybe add their little thing to it. Maybe they change the melody. I, I think a lot of times it's sort of a, a crucible for writing the best songs because how many people had a hand in writing some of these really old folk songs? You know, crafting the melody a little different, changing it a little bit here because this person liked the way it sounded a little bit better this way adding new verses if you go back to some of these old folk songs there are many verses or just like so many variations on these different verses and usually they're around a story you know a lot of these old irish songs are about battles and all these different things telling stories so i think a lot of fantasy novels have these as a base it's it's a great sort of shorthand for instead of one of the things i'm sure you guys talk about a lot is exposition and like info dumping sure 
Right. Yep. So I think if you have a song that tells the history of something that's happening in the past of your, your fantasy novel, it's sort of a clever way to info dump without necessarily <laughs> info dump. Right, right. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Sure. And you, John, you touched on something that, that I wanted to ask you about because you're, a lot of these songs that you're talking about and, and the length of them and how they, you know, they have so many different verses. Um, <clears throat> if you look at somebody like Harry Chapin, who was an amazing storyteller in song, with today's, he, he had this problem where he would write these 10-minute songs that nobody would ever play on the radio. And so with today's attention spans and the limitations on time and those kinds of things, it, it almost seems like you'd run into a lot of the same problems that writers do when they're writing flash fiction or short, short stories. And, you know, where one word needs to do the work of a thousand other words. How do you reconcile that? What do you do with that? Well, for me, my my own personal way of writing and believe it or not, after I just gave this whole thought about these long songs, I think, I, think, I think typically I'm very succinct. Songwriting works for me because even in my speech, even just in my conversations with people, I, I try to be succinct. And when writing lyrics for songs, I, I feel like that is the challenge, is to say what you need to say in the smallest amount of time. Because when you're writing a song, there's all these other considerations, too. There's meter, and there's rhyming, and there's prosody. What's prosody? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> Meter, I've got rhyming. Yeah, understand it. Prosody? What? Tell, yeah. Do tell. Prosody is, I think that's how you spell it. It's P-R-O-S-O-D-Y. It's the sound of the word as it's sung. And it's making sure that the emphasis is natural. So, you know, you can fit a word into your melodic line, but perhaps the way you're emphasizing syllables in that word are totally unnatural and they don't sound right sure like, so like the, yeah. it's birthday instead of birthday yeah or especially if it's a longer word you know you hit a syllable wrong yeah. and it doesn't sound right so you have to make sure that your prosody is natural and i don't think that's something that a lot of people think about with songwriters and i'm sure people who are songwriters probably don't think about that necessarily it's probably more intuitive but getting that to work is is a challenge in and of itself and i think so often y you have to make a compromise sometimes and and i will often make the compromise in favor of prosody in favor of rhyming in favor of meter rather than trying to to put a, a word in there that if you were just writing prose would be a more effective word sure but you know Songs are meant to be sung. They're not meant to be read. If you've ever had those, you know, if you have like an English class where they, you know, your English teacher will tell you, bring in your song and we're going to analyze it as poetry. It very rarely <laughs> works. Those, those songs weren't meant to be uh, read. They're meant to be sung. I remember in my high school, one of my friends brought in Home Sweet Home by Motley Crue as, oh, as a geez. song to analyze his poetry. And, he, and this, <laughs> he was a big guy. He was like six foot six this big lanky dude and he was up there and he's like i'm on my way i'm on my way i'm on my way home sweet home tonight tonight yeah <laughs> like, no doesn't, doesn't work <laughs> doesn't happen well and you know that's the same is true of shakespeare shakespeare is not meant to be read right it's meant right. to be performed it's meant to be mm -hmm. spoken aloud and i think i think prosody and and brian you can back me up on this sure I, I think prosody is, I'm sure, not to the same degree that songwriters have to address and, and respect prosody, but I think writers have that same sense of cadence and rhythm and, and pace yeah. within a sentence, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, 
and that that sounds right. And it's funny that you bring up Shakespeare because the whole time that that John's been talking about this, I've been thinking about iambic pentameter and yes. you know the stressed and the unstressed syllables. And you don't read it as you know, oh, that this too to solid flesh would. You don't do that. You you know you perform it and but it has to have that because if it doesn't the the word is not going to fit in that line it's not going to have the correct cadence so it's a fascinating thing that I'm not a songwriter so I never really thought about that with music yeah it's probably the biggest challenge and there are these these aha moments when you're writing songs and you know when I when I get to whatever I'm I decided I wanted to write about and I'm working on the verses and that to me is for me personally, is the most challenging part is getting those verses to work. Because I think in your your chorus or your refrain, so much of that is the melody and it being a catchy melody. And just as long as you have a good, solid hook lyrically and melodically, you're, you're good in your melody. But your verses are where you have to tell a little bit of a story or get a feeling across or, or something. And right. I know a lot of times, especially if I'm trying to convey some sort of story, you, you have those constraints of meter and prosody and rhyming and, and, and all that. So when you can get that to work, it's so satisfying because you didn't just write a good line on one level. You really wrote it on four different levels. And, and that's where the challenge comes in. It is so much about editing and it is so much about time. Whereas all of my novelist friends uh, that I follow on Twitter and that I've interviewed on Functional Nerds, mm-hmm. the, the way that it works for them, it's word count. And then they go back and edit that word count. But it's definitely a great volume of words compared to a songwriter where our volume of words is much smaller. But we have to focus on every syllable. It's not even every word. It's every syllable has to be perfect. And, and that, that, that's sort of the antithesis of you're a novelist because if you spent that much time, you would never finish anything. <laughs> yeah, one chapter, that's right. it, we're done. Right. And really, in the end, it has to be where it just sounds like, oh, that's the only thing it could have been. That's the right. only words that could have existed in that verse. Yeah. We'll be back with more of our conversation with John Anilio after this brief promotional break. The voyage will be dangerous. It may involve fights with temple ships, and it will almost certainly offend the sensibilities of the current administration of Major Major, as well as the priestess and her, um, what did you call them? Pet lizards. You had him at dangerous. The Guild of the Cowrie Catchers, a novel of pirates and Panamandora. You made me sad, Gerard. Come back. Come back, and maybe I won't make so many things bleed. Written and narrated by Abigail Hilton. Book four, Out of the Ashes. A Grishnard, a Foxling, a Leopon, a Leon, an Ocelon, and you... A half-breed who acts more Grishnal than he looks and brought a plague upon his last allies. A forbidden book. Wayne, for a smart person, you can be pretty stupid. I don't know anyone else like that. No one asked your opinion. A pirate prince. Polivar, what are you doing? An idea. His time has come. The Guild of the Cowrie Catchers. Find the story at cowriecatchers.com or subscribe in Podio Books, iTunes, or your favorite podcatcher. 
Sylvia? Sylvia? Let's go change the world. Now let's get back to the conversation with John Anilio. It's intriguing because you've spoken about your craft and your process of writing a song. And you talk about how you start with the chorus, right? You start with that that repeated core theme that's the, the baseline or bass bone or, or heart element of the song itself. Is that right? Yeah. And that's, that's a process that I arrived at after many years of, of writing songs. But because when I first started writing songs and for many years writing songs, I would come up with some cool music or some, some good lyrics to a verse and you'd sort of fall in love with this verse and then you would get because you know time wise or i should say you know if you're going in a linear way of when someone would be hearing a song for the first time you hear the verse first but if you're writing it this is just my experience anyway if you're writing that verse first you might come up with something great and then when you get to the chorus you're like well what is this song about (laughs) right exactly And I find to me, you don't have anything until you have that great chorus melody. And that's just, you know, my my taste and that and and there's lots of people that I'm sure it works other ways for them. But for me, I I feel like I don't have anything until I have a, a super strong, catchy, uplifting, whatever melody and words and usually the words and the melody come for the chorus they come at the same time often when i'm not really sitting down to write a lot of times that's what comes first i will then capture that idea quickly just on my ipod touch just you know humming melodies and and words and then the work comes in writing the song but it's that sort of flash of inspiration i guess and it's funny because i I am also one not to say don't wait around for inspiration to write you should sit down and write every day (laughs) But I can get inspired uh, ten times a day with with song ideas, and I and my various hard drives are filled with ideas that I just didn't feel like developing or just didn't work up to developing. So the work comes when you're sitting down and writing the rest of the music and the rest of the words. But when you know you have that strong idea, then it's it's I don't want to say it's easy because there's a lot of hard work that goes into writing those verses. But when you know you have that strong melody, when you have that strong chorus, in some ways the verses write themselves you you immediately get a, a scaffolding for what the song's going to be like if if you're experienced in writing and if you're a student of music and a student of song structure you know exactly where everything will go and it's just a matter of working it all out and that's hard work but you know what to do then sure sure right sure. when when you're developing that initial chorus that that first thing that you do when you sit down do you already have an idea of what the story itself is going to be or does that come out of that just sitting and playing and and kind of riffing a little bit it really depends uh, on what what i'm writing if it's something based and and i haven't written a lot of things like this recently but um a lot of my songs are sort of based on different you know i have a song called silent number six that's based on the uh battlestar galactica reboot so i wrote that chorus really early watching the show so I had an idea of what the the verses were going to be like. So I had a pretty clear direction. But in in other times, I haven't. Um, uh, for instance, another one I've done recently was John Miro, uh, who who you may know. Oh my uh, yes, 
Yeah, so so John Miro <laughs> d- does his own podcasts, and he commissioned a song for me for his Walk the Fire anthology. So he gave me a direction of what he wanted to, to, the song to go. And again, I wrote that chorus first, and I really didn't have any idea what the verses were going to be about. But that was a case where I felt really good about the, the chorus melody. And then that was sort of a bit of a collaboration between John and I because he gave me this world to play in. And my song is sort of like a little short story that takes place within that world and I just asked well what if I do this and then I sort of came up with the scaffolding story wise that each verse was going to be a different time period within the unit the walk the fire universe right so that was like okay that makes sense I can work with that and then I worked with it and then I wrote it like that so it's cool and cool. you've done that. You've done that with Adam Christopher's Empire State. I would imagine there was some back and forth with that, and even with with Mer Lafferty's actually be writing right. Well, with in the case of Empire State, as as fully formed as that song is, uh, the guys at Angry Robot really they, they gave me a direction. But believe it or not, there was no back and forth with that. Huh. They were just like, "Go nuts! We we trust you." Because I'd already <laughs> done the Angry Robot song for their podcast, right? And uh, you know, we were pretty comfortable with each other and. They're like, read the book and pretend like you're writing a short story that takes place in that universe and go nuts. Very cool. And I did, and I was happy with the way it came out, and they were too, and Adam really liked it, and, and it was a good fit. Now, with Mer Lafferty, with the I Should Be Writing song, Mer came across my music, and I was aware of who Mer was for, for quite a while, and she heard my George R.R. R. Martin song, because Mer is a really big Neil Gaiman fan. So that George R.R. R. Martin song really resonated with her, as it does with a lot of my writer friends. I'm oh, my friends yes. With a, I'm friends with a lot of writers because of that song. <laughs> <laughs> and... So Murr really liked that song and bought my first album and wrote a, at the time Murr was writing for tour.com a little bit. And she was really nice and wrote a review of my first album for tour.com. And that, yeah, and that really helped put me on the map. And so her and I got to be quite friendly after that. And I was thinking of going to Balticon. This was three or four years ago now. I guess it's almost four years ago now. And I noticed that Murr was going to be there, and I mentioned that I was going to go, and you know, I, I'm looking forward to seeing her. And she said, "Hey, do you want to like play a song at the beginning of the? Because we're going to do a live. I should be writing." I said, "Sure." <laughs> She's like, "Do you want to write a song called I Should Be Writing?" For the- <laughs> <laughs> and and I was like, "Sure, okay." And um, this was literally, "Oh, Murr, you are so sly, so very <laughs> sly." <laughs> And Murr and I go back and forth with the details of this. The way I remember it was that she asked me to do it, and it was only a week before. So I wrote that song. I mean, I was finishing it up as I was like getting down to Balticon. Like I hadn't even finished it fully yet. No, I take that back. I think I'd finished it a couple days before because I remember sending her a little a little uh, demo of it. Uh, just so she, you know, she can, she can hear it. But, um, she was really, there was really no back and forth with that either. She just, she just asked if I can write it for, for the, the podcast and she really liked it. And I, and actually the version that she plays on her show is that demo that I gave her that little, you know, dude, you nailed it. You totally knocked it out of the park. It's, it's, it's the perfect, it really is an iconic piece of music, both for podcasting and for, for Murr's brand with, I should be writing. It's awesome. It's fabulous. Yeah. Totally. Thanks. Well, you know, I, I get, I still get emails about that song. I don't doubt it. I don't I like get, you know, when I said in the intro, you really have defined for a generation of podcasting people uh, what it is to listen to certain shows and listen to certain podcasts. You're you're informing that. 
Thanks. So, well, let me let me ask you. We're running out of time here. Uh, we've only got twenty minutes, and we always go over. But I, I, I do want to ask. Initially, you saw the fan base. You saw the 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 content, the material of of fantasy, of sci fi, of of genre fiction, and you dove in and and. You've been very good to it, and I'd say it's been very good to you. What what have you taken as as an artist, as a musician, as you've moved through the waters of genre fiction, of fantasy and science fiction, and the creatives that work in those waters? What have you taken? How has that affected or influenced your craft as a musician? And then spin that back around. What do you think you've given back to to the, to the genre culture uh, through your style of storytelling? Ooh, that's a that's a good question. Well, I can't off the top of my head. I can't think of how it's influenced my craft other than than the obvious of I've been commissioned to write some songs about certain. <laughs> well, yeah, right. So right. so ju- just just lyrical content that's one thing i would say what i've taken from this is meeting so many authors interviewing them for the podcast meeting them at cons hanging out at cons uh there are a lot of fantastic authors who i i call friends that you know i would just consider a good friend we've roomed together uh hung out had a had a a beverage or two at uh (laughs) together or five or five or or more yeah um so i I would consider sitter uh quite a few of them friends and what i've learned is it's just hard work it's it's just sitting down and working hard with no expectation of reward either financially or critically but just i have something to say and i'm going to sit here and i'm going to work on this every day and even though i think the other part of it is i'm in my late 30s and many of my author friends are in the same age range or older sure and that is not stopping them i i and i I, so this this is really what it comes down to for me because music although it's a little different now because of the internet music is very ageist Um, really Oh yeah, I, I suppose yeah, I can see that. M- meaning, if you don't if you don't really kind of make a name for yourself by the time you're 26, 27, you're too old for it. Um, and kind of like with, math, yeah, <laughs> yeah, math and music the same. Yeah, being a little older and and seeing some of my author friends who are in the same age range, they don't care. They never took the what we get a lot of times is oh, just work your day job and why are you fooling around with that writing still or why are you fooling around with that music still? Like you're you're an adult, you have a day job, you have a spouse, you have children, like why are you wasting your time with that? And just to see and be part of a community where people call bullshit on that and do it anyway (laughs) has been because i've always been the same way but you know as 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 you keep moving on in life sometimes it's hard to keep doing it if you're not necessarily succeeding and you can define success any way you'd like sure but to be around these people that just work at it all the time it just really inspired me to keep going with it and to just do that focus on the craft focus on doing the best work that you can and doing the best work you can is its own reward, even if you don't get, you know, millions cash of fans money. and money. You cash yeah, money, yeah. yeah. Excellent. Bam. There's there's a sound yeah. bite right there. That's awesome. Yep. yep. Gentlemen, I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm looking at the the clock. The clock uh, uh, slung a, a Stratocaster, rocked out a few power cords, and then <laughs> flipped me off and just walked off. So I assume that means that we're out of time in some way or other, probably in music language. 
Um, but John, dude, thank you so much. This this has been enlightening and inspiring in a way that that I really, I honestly didn't know what to expect from from having right. you on the show. And this has really kind of unlocked a new way of looking at not just the writer's craft, but the art of storytelling in a broader scope. And we really appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Brian. Brian, Definitely, what are you yes. what are you taking from this one, man? I I think that that last bit where it comes down to doing the work and it comes down to hard work yeah you know, sit down and get it done and pay attention to what you're learning through the process but you know it's something that we enjoy doing and and there's no reason for us not to do it yeah and and that resonated with me too because you know as you and i have both discovered as we entered into this world of of podcasting and genre fiction and this whole world that we really had <laughs> no idea what we were doing right. uh, a year right. ago when we fired this bad boy up. Um, uh, this is a hardworking community. This is a very supportive community. And, and that's yeah. astonishing uh, and inspiring and, and really is very interested in making sure everyone is, is doing as awesomely and as amazingly as they possibly can. For, yes. for me, what really struck me was the reminder of the ancient aspect of storytelling. We had when Patrick McLean was on. And he was talking about how language is older than writing. And, right. and now John's coming on pointing out that music is probably even older than language or it's the first language when you get right down to it. And that, I don't know what that means for me, but it's, it's really kind of resonating and that, you know, it might be a couple of weeks before I figure out why. Well, you know, for me, it's because it's all about storytelling as far back as it goes. It's not about the words necessarily. And it's not about the sounds. It's about the story that's, that's being told. Yep. Yep, you know exactly, and that, and that's what we're all about here. Uh, yeah. Both both in terms of the roundtable and you know in life, actually, I kind of think that's kind of why we're Absolutely. all here to tell an awesome story. So and and friends, thank you for being a part of our story as you tune in week after week. We are so grateful for that. You complete the circuit for us. Without you, we are shouting in the dark. So if you had a, a good time, and I know you did because we sure as hell did with this twenty minutes with John and Nelio, please feel free to spread the word. I let the world know the awesomeness of the roundtable is out there. Uh, whether it's out on iTunes or blogging about us or tweeting. However you do it, we are so grateful that you do. We're out on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. On Twitter at writerspodcast. You can drop us a line at the table at roundtablepodcast.com. And of course, the website is always there for your enjoyment and archival pleasure at www.roundtablepodcast.com. Now, friends, stay tuned because in a couple of days, we're going to go even farther outside of our comfort zone as, as, <laughs> as Brian and I attempt to workshop not a story but a song. Oh boy. Yeah. So thank God John and Nelio will, will be there to, to guide us through those treacherous right. waters. Uh, but until <laughs> then you got a couple a couple of days to kill. Brian, what do you think they should be doing, man? Put on some some of your favorite background writing music and go right. Go right. Put some words on the on the page, put it out in the world, make the world more awesome. Because that's what you do. I will say, you know, friends, as always, you find what you're looking for. So, so look for the good stuff and you will find it. We will see you in just a couple of days. Until then, you guys stay cool. Be frosty. Be awesome. And we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This episode is copyright 2013 by the Roundtable Podcast and released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means do not sell it, but you can share it all you want. And you can even use pieces of it in your own production. 
as long as you release that production under the same licensing terms and attribute us as the source. This particular episode was produced by Ben Delano. You can find him at bendelano.ca. Theme music provided by the talented Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David Labroyer, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you want to be a guest writer or guest host, or just learn more about the Roundtable Podcast, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also out on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at writerspodcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.